research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. Joined, as always, with Eric Eggers. How are you, Eric? I'm excellent, Peter. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm great because we have a terrific guest today, uh, Jesse Waters. Uh, people know him from Fox News. He's got a terrific new book out called Subtly, How I Saved the World. Um, it's number one in the country, the number one Wall Street Journal, New York Times bestseller. Uh, authors know this is the list that really matters because the New York Times has kind of a funky recipe for determining their bestseller list. Um, the Wall Street Journal is straight sales. So that means that How I Saved the World is the number one nonfiction book in America. So congratulations, Jesse, and thanks for joining us. You know, if I had gotten number two on the Times list, I just would have said they rigged it against me. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, we wanted to talk to you today about the book, and we want to talk about, um, I think, a really interesting subject that has kind of flown below the radar, uh, and that's the state of criminal justice in America, particularly when it comes to political violence. There are these old sayings that I like. I'm probably 20 years older than you, so maybe this is just an old man saying it, but, you know, do the crime, do the time, equal justice under the law. And we're going to discuss today whether that's really true as it relates to political violence. We're going to look at Antifa, BLM. We're also going to look at the violence that happened on January 6th at the Capitol. Yeah, and you, I think, detail very humorously, but I think very insightfully that there's a, a real disconnect. There's a couple different aspects of America. What are some of the things you learned uh, in your journey and like, what led you to write the book? Going back in time in terms of prosecutorial misconduct, you guys remember Mike Nifong? Absolutely. The Duke guy. Probably one of the earliest villains when it came to misconduct in the prosecutor's office because he just railroaded these kids and played up this racial hoax when there was no evidence. And as more and more evidence came out and more and more testimony and hard evidence came out, he continued to suppress it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And you're seeing that across the country right now. You know, you had two years of the Russia witch hunt and there was no evidence that there was any collusion. Yet Mueller and his band of these 13 Democrat prosecutors kind of kept that dark cloud over the Republican Party and that ended up costing the Republicans the midterms, gave Nancy the gavel. And I, I go back and I see how these things develop. You see how it's happened with this guy. I think he was a Farrakhan acolyte, this black nationalist who actually killed a U.S. Capitol police officer when he drilled him with a car just a month or two after the January 6th riot. And you never heard anything about that. And if you're going to play by the rules, the rules are today, you would then, as an FBI agent, have to then infiltrate Farrakhan's companies and basically label the Farrakhan movement and the black nationalist movement 
a terrorist organization. You would have to start wiretapping them. You would have to start putting undercover agents in their organizations. And you'd have to just indict, you know, at least 13, 14 of his people. But that's not the case. That was just one of those, what are those, the low gunmen, you know, what are these guys? It's just a one-off. But what did they do here? You know, they had a couple of people go into the Capitol, and then the entire MAGA movement is an accessory to political violence. And that's kind of the rigged system you're seeing in this country. I notice it with Jeffrey Epstein. We talk about that in the book. How is it possible that a guy can go around basically raping underage girls for decades and never really pay a price for it? And you have Bill Clinton... Peter knows about this, flying in the Lolita Express, six people now fingering him to be on Epstein Island and taking jets all over the world. Another person came out and said he was on the Lolita Express again in Asia for a couple flights. And it's not talked about. And the feds go in and they seize all of the laptops, cameras, the bookkeeping in the compound in the island and the townhouse on 72nd Street here, also the the desert mansion in New Mexico, the guy taped everything. You walk into a Jeffrey Epstein house, you're on camera. And he had years of footage, and it was being used for blackmail. That was the allegation. So the Fed seized all this material. Where is it? It's just disappeared. And that's what people have a problem with. And that's why you see so much anger and frustration in this country. And until you kind of fix the the legal system, you're never going to get rid of this. Action. Well, and what, what you're pointing out, Jesse, which I think is often overlooked, is that the power that prosecutors have to ruin lives, to actually send people to jail, and they need to have that authority because they're prosecutors. But we think of corruption when it comes to legislators, you know, they, they're going to have their vote influenced or bureaucrats who are going to change the regulation. This is a kind of corruption that absolutely transforms lives, destroys lives, or protects nefarious people. You know, let's look at the the Antifa to January 6th comparison. If you look broadly speaking, and by the way, I think everybody talking here today, we, we don't think what happened on January 6th was good. My view is anybody that violates a law should should face the consequences of that law. But when it comes to the actions in Portland and all these other cities, the vast majority of Antifa and BLM members were not arrested or charged. Um, and many of the January 6th protesters were charged. Uh, we know that uh, when it came to confinement, a lot of the January 6th protesters got solitary confinement for 23 hours a day for 23 hours a day, which was condemned even by Elizabeth Warren and Dick Durbin. Well, by uh, the way, remember Guantanamo Bay, right? It's a human rights crisis, yeah. but it's, I guess, perfectly OK to do that with people that walked into the Capitol. Exactly. I mean, you've got these vast disparities and yet nobody, Jesse, in the media is talking about them. I mean, you've talked about it, but nobody's really talking about this disparity. Why does the media not care? Is this just simply a hangover of the Trump era? Or do you think there's something bigger here uh, as to what's going on with the media? It's bigger than that. It goes back. There was prosecutorial abuse during the Bush administration. Remember Scooter Libby? took a charge when it was Richard Armitage, Powell's guy that really leaked claims and it started there. You saw with the Duke prosecutor who I mentioned earlier. And you see it with these DAs in New York City where they let these police assailants just walk with no bail. And the streets are, it's just disgusting here, but because they're focusing on Trump CFO who made a bookkeeping error. 
forgot to claim a company car. You know, so they, they don't want to waste time in court with actual violent felons. They want to make a career out of prosecuting political enemies. And that's the problem. It's more profitable for these DAs and these prosecutors to go after political targets than it, go, than it is for them to actually go after criminals. Because a lot of these prosecutors, especially these federal guys in Washington, they're looking to make a career out of it. So the establishment, the Department of Justice, once you get out of that avenue, you go and you work for a DC law firm, you go and work for a DC lobbying firm, and it, this is a, a swamp town that's run by Democrats, so if you if you have on your resume that you know you prosecuted a bunch of these populists that stormed the Capitol, you know that's going to get you in the door a lot of these places. Going after Black Lives Matter, that's not going to get you in the door anywhere. And you saw what happened in Portland; they laid siege to the federal courthouse, and the DA just dropped all the charges of. There was a Antifa guy that executed a patriot in cold blood. No one talks about that. There was an Antifa, they call him a security guard in Colorado, shot a Patriot point blank range. You never hear about that. So you don't hear about David Dorn, black security guard in St. Louis, who was murdered by those BLM rioters. You don't hear about the $2 billion in property damage. So there's just a double standard there. And it really has to do with power, profits, and status, because Trump really led this movement that was a populist movement, and it aimed directly at the establishment. Now, the establishment hated Trump because he beat the Bush dynasty, took out the Clinton dynasty. He told these establishment foreign policy types, hey, guys, foreign policy is not working anymore. You know, we got to modernize this thing. Cold War's over. We got to realign the trade deals. We got to realign the, the security deals. And we got to be tough on China. Now, they didn't want to go tough on China because their profits were at stake. So they threw everything at the guy. Remember pre-dawn SWAT team raids over a lobbying registration error? But they were militarizing that statute to go after people and, and with, with uh, you know, SWAT gear, kick in doors at six in the morning. They did it with Rudy Giuliani for the same thing. He's lobbying, lobbying. Lobbying means, oh, yeah, Trump, why don't you look into this? That's lobbying. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden's out there lobbying his dad for oil and gas tycoons. He's not registered. So that's the double standard. And you saw it again with Tom Barrick, the guy that ran the Trump inaugural deal. It's, it's, a, it's a wrist slap in any other era. But they take this lobbying thing, and now it makes you look like you're some sort of narcotics trafficker the way they treat you. And it's not fair. And people have had it. It's such a great point, Jesse. In fact, there's a story that just came out two days ago. There's these two Ivy League lawyers who firebombed police cars, right, in New York City. And they've been embraced by the Manhattan elite and allowed to, in contrast with the people that happened to trespass on January 6th, uh, these people have been allowed to go visit relatives over Christmas and attend uh, bridal showers because of their bail arrangements. I mean, the hypocrisy is stunning. And I, I know that, you know, we sort of have fun with the idea that your book is so successful. And we're a research organization. So we, we really do try to do a lot of research and come up with facts that no one else knows. And so we're trying to figure out, like, is your book number one because you're so handsome or because you're so smart? But we, what we came up with, we think is it's because I think your book contains information that the rest of America doesn't get anywhere else. I mean, that's got to be what, how you receive the reaction to your book. Well, it is a funny book, and it's also 20 years of covering the news through the lens of a Fox News host. So we go back, just by what you were just saying, 
the left has always romanticized political violence when it's coming from that side. And if you guys remember William Ayers, the domestic terror. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. After the Pentagon, he was involved with guys that killed police officers. And this was the neighbor of Barack Obama. And guys like that are able to be heralded in the mainstream media because their cause is always just. So when someone wanders into a capital, that's basically like they're Osama bin Laden. But if someone guy plants a pipe bomb at the Pentagon, well, hey, you know, this guy gets book deals. He becomes a professor at the University of Chicago. <laughs> and, and you've seen that for many, many years. And what I think we're seeing now when we're talking about the corruption of these prosecutors, there's a great BuzzFeed report that just came out. These so-called militia members that had been indicted for this conspiracy to kidnap Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. It looks like they had 13 undercover agents involved in the so-called conspiracy. There were more undercover agents than there were. <laughs> The militia, you know, I'm, I'm only hearing it from BuzzFeed, so I don't know all the details, but it looks like these guys were really, I wouldn't say coerced, but possibly led down this path to this conspiracy. And they're saying, hey, there was no conspiracy to kidnap her. And, you know, and, and so you, you plant these undercover operatives just like they did in the Trump campaign, where they have people, uh, I think this guy was a former crackhead, Stephen Halper who is, you know, talking to a 23-year-old volunteer, Papadopoulos, and setting him up with all kinds of shady agents overseas. And the next thing you know, there's this big international conspiracy and, and all these Trump associates are having their doors kicked down at 6 a.m. It's really, really vicious the way they've kind of implanted and entrapped people. And it never happens on the other side. I don't see a lot of undercover agents and informants in Black Lives Matter and Antifa or any of these radical environmental groups that are really just causing a lot of mayhem. Well, you don't see the arrests, right? I mean, that's one reason why you wouldn't see the entrapment, because they're not arresting the people in the BLM. And it's so funny you mentioned the BuzzFeed article about the Michigan militia. I was talking to a friend of mine who he literally said, look, I'm a liberal and I just read this BuzzFeed article. This sounds like entrapment. I mean, we're here in Tallahassee. We're actually in the middle of a public corruption trial where that's the defense that the, they'll say the FBI tried to entrap the people in, in the case. But the BuzzFeed article very much reads like, yeah, like it's a two to one FBI to militia member ratio. <laughs> and they're the ones coming up with the ideas. I hadn't thought about it from the political angle, but it, I think you're right. I think it does fit in the larger frame of and this is where I think where Peter pushes back correctly is, you know, we they, justice should be blind. Right. And but it seems the more you look at it, it's very political. Well, there's there's a there's a phrase that's often been repeated. I'm sure you've heard it, Jesse, that when they talk about a dirty cop, a dirty cop says, I found the man. Now I'm going to find the crime. In other words, there's somebody they don't like on the street. Maybe they offended their sister or their brother. So they're going to find them and they're going to figure out some crime to pin on them. And so in a way, we're maybe talking about something more here than just unequal justice. Uh, it seems like in some respects we're talking about targeting, uh, where they're targeting people on certain sides of the political aisle. Look, my view is political violence is political violence, whoever does it. But if you're only targeting one side, um, you're going to get this kind of unequal justice. And that's what's so sinister, because the targeting is happening in these secret meetings that they're having at FBI headquarters or they're having somewhere at the uh, local law enforcement. Uh, and they're picking certain groups or individuals they don't like uh, and ignoring others. 
sinister, I think, is the accurate word right there. Because, in my opinion, if you are a liberal, you don't believe Republicans are human. You've dehumanized them. You've said everything that they propagate is based on evil. So the ends justify the means. They will do anything necessary to take out their political opponents. And now we've gotten into a new era where they've weaponized the legal system to, as you say, target people, political enemies that they disagree with. And you don't see it on the other side. Where are the targeted informants going after the drug cartels? You don't hear about MS-13 being taken down. You don't hear about Sinaloa cartels having undercover informants then, you know, pop off. And you don't see these massive arrests anywhere like that. You don't see any of the radical liberal environmental groups being taken down. Black Lives Matter, just in terms of the financial shenanigans. I don't see why the IRS isn't looking at some of these former leaders of BLM. Now they have multi-million dollar homes. And Stacey Abrams has a $1.4 million real estate portfolio. So where did the money come from from that? I'm not saying there's anything nefarious there. I'm just saying if that was a Republican group, you know, they targeted the Tea Party. It began there, too. They went after them with audits, and they really froze that movement at a time when that was really catching a lot of momentum. They've understood the power that they have in the federal prosecutor's office with the IRS and in these local district attorneys, and it's all, all hell has broken loose because populism is such a huge threat to the establishment, to the powers that be, that they'll do anything in their power, and they've realized this tool is very sharp. They have race, and then they have these nasty prosecutors, and they'll take you out one or the other. It's either you're racist, or we're going to catch you in some sort of small crime and make you plea out. The only thing I'll push back on, Jesse, is I think that now that, I mean, you've obviously been a very successful television personality for some time and a reporter, but now that you're a number one bestselling author, you may come to regret your advocacy for increased IRS oversight on any number of topics. (laughs) So, I mean, that's just a little personal advice from one author to another. Well, Jesse, um, you talked about, um, and I think it's a really important point, is uh, the issue of self-selection. I mean, you've got prosecutors, their risk and reward system is such that what? They get rewarded for going after targeting certain people. They end up going to uh, work for corporations in the legal departments. Corporations are increasingly woke. Um, or they end up going for these large law firms that are trying to do government contract work. So what? what is the what is the solution here? I mean, if, if people are listening to this, they read your book, they understand, they're frustrated, they're enraged. What is the solution here, uh, do you think, to getting us to a point where maybe we're not going to get completely blind justice, which is what we should have, but at least something that's closer in balance? One of the things that Donald Trump did not do well was personnel. So a lot of the establishment Republicans were defeating his appointments that he would sign off on have any clue about the character or the integrity of these people. So he had no one on his side. And a lot of these people play within the system. So if Mitch and Reince say, this guy's great, put him at justice, you know, put this guy as the federal prosecutor in Atlanta. Trump doesn't know. He doesn't have time for this. He's dealing with big issues, foreign policy. So he signs off on this stuff. And these people are soft. They're not tenacious prosecutors, and they're looking for their future career opportunities. 
And you made a really good point. So you need personnel on the ground. I think that's important. But these companies have to get off this woke garbage because you're right. If you come from a legal background that has ever prosecuted anybody with regards to race, right? Is someone at General Electric going to hire that person with that kind of resume? Is anybody at Raytheon going to look at some guy who locked up some BLM guy or went after Antifa or, you know, busted up some sort of gun trafficking ring in Chicago? No. They want nice mainstream guys that go after white collar criminals or anything that looks good from that standpoint. And, and that's, that's, the avid, that's the feeder system that, that really needs to be fixed. And, and, it, and I don't know what you do about these woke corporations. I tell this to people all the time. This country needs to have a backbone and just say no. I have daughters. Sometimes I just say no, knock it off. And if more people just said, no, knock it off, we're not firing this person, we're not changing this, three people complained, they'll go away. That's a, it's such a great point. I've, we've actually run into that, I think, in a variety of uh, our research threads. It's like, how come this topic wasn't addressed? How become these governing entities didn't address it? And I think it's because they're concerned about pushback from what they consider to be politically incorrect or now like anti-woke policies. And it does, it's, it's insidious how it infiltrates so many aspects of American society. Um, Social media has changed the game. Because remember in the 80s, there was like a letter writing campaign. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell people what letters are, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> it would get to the mailroom at Walmart and maybe, maybe, a letter would make it up to the head of corporate communication. Now, 300 people can get on social media and that corporate communications person will be on social media and say, whoa, there's 300 nitwits, not even customers, 300 whiners that are upset with a product or a name of a product. And, and, and the next thing you know, she's in the office with the CEO and they're having a crisis communications <laughs> meeting. Well, there's, there's one final aspect of this, and we do appreciate your time, Jesse. We know you're busy. We're talking with Jesse Waters, uh, author of the number one uh, book in America, uh, How I Save the World. Um, but, Jesse, there's one final aspect of it, and that is the selection of prosecutors now has become politicized. You've got G uh, people like George Soros and others who are financing campaigns in places like Los Angeles and Portland and Seattle. And, you know, it seems to me, maybe I'm, I'm naive or too idealistic. It seems to me 30 years ago, people would look at the prosecutor and say, okay, did they go to law school? Did they go to a good school? Did they get good grades? Do they have a responsible reputation? Now it's become politicized and you've got prosecutors that are being uh, elected, being bankrolled by guys like George Soros, um, who are taking very staunch political stances, basically saying, we're not even going to prosecute people that have committed crimes. How much of a factor is that? factor because now you can buy DA. A couple decades ago, there wasn't we weren't flushed with the kind of political cash. It went to governors or it went to Congress or presidential candidates. Now you get these billionaires or these ideologues with they're flush with cash and they realize that they can throw the money around and they can buy DA's office. Get a guy in there who's stooge and he's gonna do the bidding of the left and they believe in restorative justice. And that's the same sort of mentality that, you know, let's not incarcerate these gangbangers, these domestic abusers. These drug traffickers, these people are victims of a white supremacist society, and they need our help. They, need, they don't need the punishment. 
punishment is not a deterrent in, in this situation. We need to rehab them and get them jobs so they can re-enter society. And, and no, these people get out, they reoffend, and that's why you have a crime wave, because of bail reform and some of these ideological DAs. That's absolutely true. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. How I Save the World, number one. It's, it's not just the number one book. Jesse, I, it's my understanding it's a national phenomenon. Is that accurate? Would you say it that way? <laughs> it is a phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, uh, Jesse Waters. Uh, you have been with us on The Drill Down. Uh, we ask for people to uh, uh, look at us on thedrilldown.com. Thanks again. <laughs>